Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to you. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk. And today, after the disappointing Game 2 loss against the Golden State Warriors, I have brought on Tamberlyn Richardson. She's a feature writer for Raptors Republic and a site expert for Thunderous Intentions. She also has a podcast called Tamberlyn's Tip-Off. And you can find her on Twitter at T-T-O-T-A-M-B-Z, T-T-O-Tams. How are you doing, Tamberlyn? I'm good. I'm good. I mean... I've been better, but I'm good. <laughs> I guess the first thing I want to talk about going forward is there's a lot of people who are very positive and optimistic as far as the Raptors. And we're supposed to have this feeling of glad to be here when considering the Raptors, their first finals against this dynasty of the Warriors, even though they are short. A Kevin Durant and DeMarcus Cousins is just coming back and is on the mend. Steph Curry has his 18th alias he's ever had in the NBA Finals, apparently. And there's just a lot of things going against the Warriors and going for the Raptors. Before we get into the things that we're disappointed in, was there anything positive for you to take away from Game 2? I mean, yeah, because as badly as we played that start of the third quarter, and we saw the regression back to people being afraid to take shots during points in the fourth quarter, Gasol specifically, we were a fingernail away from a steal in the last 30 seconds of the game that could have either tied the game or won it. So I, I honestly, I was looking at the, the whole year as a whole with the Raptors, and there were several times throughout the year they went on five to eight game winning streaks, and they never really went past that. But Almost, almost every single time after they lost the game, they came back and went on another win streak. So there's that positive to take away from it. Nurse has shown a real penchant for being able to come back after a loss with countermeasures. So, and Lowry, I mean, obviously, we can debate the whistle and how that uh, maybe affects his aggressiveness, but we certainly should be able to expect Lowry to bounce back and have more than, what was it, 27, 28 minutes? So there yeah, is a lot of positives to take away from, from this. And, I mean, we can get into the semantics of whether Kevin Durant will return or not, but at this point, Kevin Looney found out why they say guarding 
Kawhi Leonard is really tough because you end up black and blue after you do, and he had to leave the game after he got hit by by uh, Kawhi. We've got Clay uncertainty over his um, hamstring. We've got Iggy not playing at 100%. DeMarcus is playing. He played great in this game, regardless of whether you like him or not. So there's several players on the Golden State Warriors that we don't know about their health. So I, I think overall, I mean, maybe I'm just – looking at it from rose-colored glasses, but I always felt that the Raptors matched up really well against this team. And how exciting is it to watch two really smart basketball teams playing in the finals? Yeah, certainly more exciting during game one where the Raptors looked ostensibly as the smarter team and more disappointing when in game two they looked like the team that wasn't quite as cerebral as the Warriors. They assisted but all they 22. Six and a half of the eight quarters. Yeah, yeah, they've been they've been great for sure. There's there's a lot to be happy with and to take away. Just the uh, I guess let's get into that then. Curry screening, how he's able to completely change the fabric of the Raptors' defense and the Warriors' offense, running those split actions with him as screener, making everybody on the Raptors' defense second guess as to how they're going to help. Will they go over top? Will they stay under? How do you think the Raptors diagnose that problem that they're having, getting around his screening and dealing with the chaos that comes after the defensive lapses off of that? Well, I think a lot of it's going to have to depend on whether or not Clay plays in game three or what percentage of help he's at when he plays, because then they can afford to have more than one guy dealing with it and sending help defense on it. But if Clay plays, it limits them. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just a bitch for saying this, but I wish someone would just crack him a good one. <laughs> you know? Like, he's so annoying to me how he stops and gets all these calls. Like, we were talking just prior to recording, and I was saying, I wonder if Nurse should try to get Freddie and, and Kyle to start doing some of the things that Clay, or that uh, Curry is doing. But, I mean, he is one of He's he's stronger, I think, than people give him credit for. I, I read somewhere that he actually bench presses more than anyone on the team, Curry. And, and I know and that deadlifts. Yeah, I know that when he had all the issues with his ankle, that what they did is they worked on his core and on his actual balance so that his core was super strong and that when he came down, his balance was very strong. And I think that's part of what people get surprised by when they play him is he's much stronger than people give him credit for. And he's smart as a whip, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm not Nick nurse. I'm not uh, the big strategist here, but they've got to, they've got to come up with some sort of game plan. You probably have a better input here than I do on, on that factor. Yeah. I think it's, it goes back to what's been one of the main feats of the Raptors defense is the ability to switch. Obviously, we saw it's kind of difficult sometimes. Pascal was getting cooked by Clay Thompson early on in the game. Obviously, yeah. that was Clay had a really, really good shooting night. Some of that defense doesn't matter because Clay is just on one. He had quite a few difficult shots he made. But the Raptors, with Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, Fred Van Vliet, Danny Green, Kyle Lowry, all in tow, Norman Powell even, especially on Steph Curry, there's three to five guys at any given time that can switch, as long as Marcus or Serge Ibaka isn't involved in the action, that mm-hmm. can switch. So there shouldn't be as much anxiety when it comes to dealing with those screens. But I think that's part of basketball is you have to make all these decisions so fast and you're not always cognizant of 
your abilities and you're not always able to communicate that in the split second of the split action screen that Steph is running. So I think they just have to be more cognizant and hammer that home that if they start using Steph as a screener, feel free to just switch that action. Right. Because they, you know, sometimes they both get hung up and there'd be two guys facing Steph. You saw it one of the first plays of the third quarter. Draymond Green cuts under. Clay finds him under the basket for a layup, and it's because they utilize Steph as a screener. Two guys caught, got caught up. How do you avoid that? There's going to be some things where it's tough because if Steph, they get a switch and he pops out really quick, he comes over a pin down, hits a three, it's going to look really bad. But I think the Raptors have shown they're, they're definitely worth their salt as far as their defense. And, and they didn't they're one of the smartest. On the help defense last night, especially in the third quarter. Yeah. It, well, there was a lot of lapses that were kind of disappointing, and it did stem from this hesitant type of defense they played when dealing with Curry as a screener, and whether they just decide... Go ahead. Ironically, it was it was uh, Kawhi who got caught several times. Did you notice that? Yeah, Kawhi is, as far as his... When he gets to hang as a hawk on the defensive end, or if he's playing his isolation man-to-man defense, he still looks like the defensive player of the year. However, when he's dipping and ducking around screens, he's definitely lost a step. He's not as agile or cat-like getting around them as he once was. Sure. Well, that's probably his injury too, right? Yeah, he, well, he's dealt with a lot of stuff, and especially mm-hmm. the workload he's had to deal with as far as in the playoffs. is It's a big toll on the body. He looked better as far as explosiveness, but that's another thing. I guess let's transition then into Kawhi. Obviously, you point out, he was a guy who got cut up on screens a couple times. Mm-hmm. That was disappointing to see him lapse on the defensive end. On the offensive end, his decision-making didn't seem to be as quick. And it seemed like That's a lot of the times he was burning clock. What do you think about yeah. how he played on the offensive end? I thought he did a better job navigating it in game one. Um, game two, yeah, he was a step slow on a couple of... There was a couple of times where I saw guys wide open waving their arms at him. And... I mean, Kawhi is such an enigma to me because I can't believe how many games I've watched where it didn't seem like he had, he, he was playing great as per usual, but I didn't seem like he had a lot of points or rebounds. And then I look at the box score and I'm like, what the hell? Like, he scores so easily. But yeah, his, his reaction time, um, and he, I mean, let's face it, that was the one area of the game that he has to improve upon, which he did a serviceable job and he, he got back to it uh if you go back to the buck series he was much better at that as the as this as the series progressed i think we'll see him respond because he's not the type of player that does two games in a row that are bad that way so uh, nick nurse will show him that in the film and i think he'll be better at that i was i was more concerned i think about the fact that and again this comes back to whether or not iggy or the help of iggy and clay because Pascal was the one that was paying for that because he was having to now all of a sudden navigate two guys in the paint with both Iguodala and Green meeting him. Whereas if one of them can't, isn't at 100% in Clay or Iggy, they'll have to stay on Kawhi, which will free up Pascal some more. But I mean, overall, I, w- I would say that Kawhi had a very good game, obviously, with his points and the rebounding. He got some rebounds he had no business getting, like the one when Kyle missed the three and then he kind of snuck in there like he did in the Buck series to get the ball and get it back out to Kyle. 
Um, but yeah, he needs to pass faster. He needs to be faster in his decision-making process. And that, that was, I think, their problem when they weren't scoring in that period when they went to the box plus one. On the other end, they weren't taking advantage of the fact that they'd stopped them because Kawhi was doing too much ISO. But I think he'll, he'll respond to that this time round. Yeah. So that's actually the most astute observation I think one can make from last game is Steph's usage as a screener. And then, like you just brought up, how they shifted Thompson onto Kawhi and then had Iggy and Draymond roaming in the paint. And that really, really stymied how Pascal was able to score at the rim and basically how anybody else was able to operate at the rim. You saw a couple times that Pascal had the ball in the paint but wasn't able to even get the ball up. Same thing happened to Marcus all two times. It they was got to be stronger. They gotta, they gotta like slam that shit, you know. <laughs> I think it's tough with Draymond and Iggy on you because they, they have those really good hands and they'll get Iggy's the ball so on the way up. And Iggy's so good, even though he's thirty five, he's so good. I, I don't like Gigadala because I think he has the same body mannerisms and like complaints as LeBron James does, but he's definitely not LeBron James. No, but I, he's like, yeah, he's terrific. Yeah, he's oh. to me. He's the X factor. Like, I, I did you think that ball was going in when he got the ball at the end of the game? No, he's a terrible shooter. I did not think that was going in. But it was kind of like the year that um, that he was the MVP in the in the in the title in the finals. He was hitting yeah. shots he never hits. Like the, he's like that that hockey player that doesn't uh, shoot anything all year long, and then you get in the playoffs and he's the first guy to score ten goals. You know, that's what Iggy's like in the playoffs. Him and Al Farouk, I mean, you know, to me, are guys that always play better in the playoffs than they do in the regular season. Funny. At least, at least Aminu hits threes during the regular season. Iggy's defense in the playoffs, is that's the huge difference. As far as yeah. the shot making, I, I'm always kind of flummoxed when he makes a shot because it, it stupefies me. It does. He has such a strange hitch at his elbow and his jumper that a lot of the times his release looks so much different from jump shot to jump shot that it truly, it, it mystifies me when the ball drops in. And that's why when he slows down his action, when he's at the free throw line, he shoots even worse because it's not all one fluid thing. He has that hitch he has to deal with. Yeah. And, and he only nice had eight points, but all of them were major. Yeah. But he's, then again, let's go back. Kyle, if Kyle's in the game, don't tell me, because Kyle is, is notorious for being the guy that stops a run or being a guy that gets that momentum shifting play. Don't tell me if Kyle wasn't out there those last five minutes that we don't win that game. I Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. It's the Raptors, obviously. The whistle was very, very generous to the Raptors in the last five minutes, which there's obviously semantics to talk about whether it's deserved, whether they were owed that because of what happened in the first half. The first half was a very popular thing to talk about on NBA Twitter and the Raptors fandom at large. But Kyle in the, well, that's the thing is Kyle, I talked about this on the reaction podcast is when Kyle's able to generate easy baskets for guys like Serge Ibaka or Mm -hmm. Gasol or Pascal, simply just because of his predictive nature and how he sees the defense unfolding in front of him in a five minute span where they couldn't score because Kawhi wasn't able to get the hard baskets. Having one or two of those easy baskets created by Kyle could have been the difference. I totally agree with you. There. I agree, and I think Serge is also due for a big game. He's, he seems to have all uh, every series. He's been very slow to get going, 
and it looked last night like he was about to break through maybe so maybe we'll get a classic surge game in at oracle you know like and the other thing i mean we can bitch and complain about the whistles all we want yeah there was some suspect whistles called especially on kyle and curry getting the ones that you shake your head over but as you say, they bounced it out in the end. And I think it's more the timing of the whistle than the whistle itself. You know, like Fred Van Bleet said after the game that um, it's, it's, it's how, how you, how you uh, react to the officiating and it affects the nature of your game. And for Kyle, predominantly, that is, that is the biggest uh, – I, I think he's done the money about that, especially for Kyle. Because Kyle plays best when he's aggressive. So when he has to pull back his game because he has to watch not getting fouls, it does affect the ebb and flow of the game. So it's a good point to make. You're right. Yeah. And also just being a little bit smarter. Obviously, he can't help where it did look like he definitely got in under DeMarcus Cousins and that looked like it was a definitive charge. But taking that sixth foul, that was a very, very disappointing foul to see from Kyle. That's that not a statement foul. on Kyle. I, I love Kyle, but... Yeah, that was a bad foul. He has to know that the whistle's not going his way the whole game, so he can't do that. I agree with you on the on the charge, and I also think that he had all ball on another one that he got called for. I think two of Kyle's fouls were were of the phantom nature, but that's fine. He still shouldn't have taken that call. Like even if he had all ball on Cousins, he still shouldn't have tried to do that. I get why he does it. It's it's he's my I love Kyle, so I can't I can't get too upset with him because he's also been the guy that's won us so many games by making those types of plays. So we'll just have to hope that it's not a continuing situation where we're getting nailed in the first half. I don't care if the fouls are there. Just just make them more even on both sides and hopefully not all in the first half because it does affect the ebb and flow. Yeah. The beautiful thing about Kyle Lowry's game is that there's a perceived margin between teams and there's a perceived amount of plays and things that can happen where those margins either become larger or slimmer. And Kyle takes all the things where you don't think the margins exist, and he wins those. So you start winning in ways that you don't even realize. You start gaining in ways that you, you don't even realize, and he just plays yeah. the game on the next level. You were talking well, about Serge Ibaka and yeah. how he's due for a big game. I think it's interesting to point out how he might come into play defensively because I wanted to talk to you about how the Warriors attacked out of the pick and roll, how they attacked out of their split actions when they would get four-on-three advantages headed towards the rim. In game one, we saw most of those passes from the middle being sprayed out to the sideline, being sprayed out to shooters there who were reluctant to shoot. In this game, we saw, I think, five lobs in the second half to one of yeah. Bogut or Draymond Green, whoever was going there, and tons of Clay Thompson you know, going through like an elevator play and just running straight at the rim for a left-handed layup. Mm-hmm. How does Serge Ibaka factor in in a game three if the Raptors want to stop those types of plays? Well, I mean, <clears throat> the passing lanes, obviously, he's got to get his, his, his size in there. And, and I mean, I felt part of the reason why they had all those open guys under the rim is because they weren't reacting on help. They were sending, they were putting two players on both Clay and, and Steph for large portions of the game. And that left, you know, other guys, two guys at least open. And then they weren't reacting. So they seemed to be a step, like almost stuck in cement, or they weren't. To me, it was communication. Sorry, it just comes down to communication. But yeah, Serge can be better in his reaction time, get his arms out in the passing lanes. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I can have, I have much really intelligent to say other than I felt that they weren't communicating well. Then let's, let's highlight something that maybe you want to talk about from that game. Yeah. Is there one thing you expect to change going to game three that you're really looking for? From game two? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think that there were several times that I felt Kawhi forced shots or other guys forced shots when there was two guys on them. And what they did well in the first half of the game that they didn't do in that third quarter specifically was they didn't make that extra pass offensively. So for me, as much as the, they, went, they weren't talking and during that 18-0 run, to your point, if they make just a couple of easy shots, the game doesn't get out of hand the way that it did. So I think that Nurse has said all along that their offense is they have to be aggressive on offense, and they weren't aggressive in that, that third quarter on the 18-0 run, and they, they coughed up the ball five times. Um, Danny Green is not someone who should be handling the ball. I know they're trying to take advantage of him being on, on step when they're, when he's closer in the paint there. But he, when he, he, he turned the ball over how many times last night? Let me just see, pull it up here. Um, and it's the same. I, I try if clay plays, I try to make him the ball handler because basketball gods gave him the most beautiful shot in the NBA, but the guy cannot dribble. So like put the ball in his hand as much as possible, forcing him not to shoot, but to make, be a game, uh, a playmaker. Um, looking, looking, looking. Green had three turnovers, yeah. And I bet all of them were on plays where he was trying to create the shot underneath the basket. So uh, to me, it's it's a simplistic take, but communication to me and, and moving the ball for the extra shot on offense and not to get in their heads. They seemed to get in their heads in that third quarter, and in the fourth quarter they reverted back to not taking open shots. So I really didn't feel their defense was as egregious as some people felt. There was moments in the third quarter where they weren't communicating, but that's easily fixable. I still think that the Raptors are the best defense in the playoffs, the entirety of the playoffs. So if they do those small tweaks, I think that changes things. And like you say, Nurse is going to have to come up with something, <coughs> excuse me, to counteract um, Steph in the pick and roll. Speaking about Clay, obviously <laughs> using him as a ball handler and then bringing up the point about keeping Steph as off ball and trying to keep Fred Van Vliet as a sticky defender. How good has he been, man? He, he's been great. That's why I, that, I want to bring it up. I was like, going to ask you, like, is there a two-minute, three-minute rant you have about how great Fred Van Vliet has been? Well, I think he's in Steph's head, for one thing. I really do. I think that's part of why we're seeing Steph get all um, demonstrative on the court. Freddie, to me, and I, I got to say, there was times this season that I thought Fred had lost his game. And this last series, he was shooting lights out after the birth of Fred Jr. But to me, his defense has been the thing that's been the most startling. And, and just, I'm, I'm in awe of the guy. But prior to coming on the, to record, we were talking about the fact that do, does, does Nurse try to get Kyle or Freddie to maybe start doing some of the antics that Curry does where he's sticking his bum out to draw fouls or stops on a dime to have guys run into him just so that Nurse has the ability then to say, wait a minute, you're not you're calling those for Steph, but you aren't calling them for us. Because there's a number of times, last, last night when um, Fred scored uh, on a breakaway and Looney fell on top of him, did you not think that was a foul? I thought I thought it was at first, but then during the replay, 
the ball had already gone up and then the contact came. So I felt like it's just, it's unfortunate when guys are running on the fast break and they crash after the ball goes up, but it didn't affect the shot. It just affected how he landed. Yeah. Which is I mean, a nasty byproduct of playing the game at a high speed. But it would have it would have been tough to call that one, I think. Yeah. I don't think Freddie gets the benefit of the whistle that much yet. And it could just be how young he is, you know? But I I mean, he's guarded stuff the best of anyone in any of the playoff series. Period. End of story. And he's still yeah. I, what I've liked the most about Fred in this series is he's not just shooting threes. He's he's mixing up the offensive versatility and driving to the basket. He's managing the game well for the most part. I think all of his decision making has been really good. It seems like he's growing before our very eyes, you know? Definitely. And I think it's important, like you alluded to, like we'll allude to if the same problems arise in game three, but to have Kyle Lowry on the court sharing the floor with Fred Van Vliet because as we've seen with Fred Van Vliet's defense and his three-point shot, he profiles a lot more as a 3-and-D player to me than as a de facto point guard. And that same with the five-minute scoreless drought at the end of the fourth quarter that the Raptors couldn't get anything going is because Fred doesn't create super easy looks for his teammates. He's right. a really, really great tertiary option. If he's yeah. able to keep playing with Kyle Lowry and they get a lot of minutes together, I yeah. think that's how the Raptors win. The 27 minutes for Kyle Lowry... Very tough pill to swallow for the Raptors. Absolutely. What did you think of Green in this game? I mean, Green, Danny Green or Draymond Green? Danny. Danny, um, he hit that three, but otherwise, I'm not sure why they try and utilize his post-up game against Steph. I think you use Danny as a, a screener when yeah. you have Steph on him. I don't understand the fixation on having Danny post-up Steph because, like you alluded to, Steph is not actually weak. No. It's, it's his motion in space against bigger players who are a lot better on ball than Danny Green is. That That's where his weakness is. And also punishing him. Yeah, like in the in the regular season, I know they had a lot of success going to that, but I just don't think it's the same team. I don't think it's the same intensity. And right. I Danny Green has been, I guess, subpar for some time now. I still believe in his ability to bounce back. I still think he should be the starter and you should have Van Vliet come in and play with Lowry and and that's how you play it but mm-hmm. I Danny Green has been disappointing for some time now which is not so fun I wonder if he's hurt yeah that was Blake said that when I had Blake on the podcast he had mentioned and he he made sure that it wasn't a take he was just speculating yeah, me but too. That Danny I- Danny had a big injury and not only that, but this is the highest level of minutes he's played in, in a long time. And he's getting a bit older now, and yeah. maybe his body's breaking down a little bit. Well, I, I don't know whether it's true or not, but somebody that follows, the, you know, the in the green room, his podcast, somebody yeah. that's tied to that said that they thought that he re-injured his, uh, his groin, which would make sense in the jumping motion for him hitting shots. So maybe that's it. And again, this is pure speculation on my part. I think he's still been serviceable defensively, but having him, presumably the reason they want him to go at Curry in the paint is because of the size difference, but he takes so long to make a decision that Green just runs over and they've got two guys on him and then he forces up shots that turn into, or forces up passes that turn into turnovers. So they can't be turning over the ball like that. That's another big takeaway. They had way too many turnovers for them. And yet 
again, we'll come down to the fact that we're a fingernail, a Kawhi fingernail away from this game being going into overtime or one. Yeah. Well, I think another point is that looking at Curry on defense, there's probably three guys that you want to attack that mismatch. Fred Van Vliet, not really. That's not something you change the whole offensive outlook to attack Curry on a given possession. Mm -hmm. Kyle Lowry, I think you let him go to town on Curry because I think he's very crafty. I think he can put Curry in some foul trouble if he's gifted those possessions to go to work on him. Kawhi, obviously. Pascal, obviously. But as far as Fred, Norman Powell, Danny Green, Marcus Gasol, if he has very deep post position. But nobody else should be hunting Curry. I think that takes away from the Raptors' strengths unless they have those three guys going after it. I love when when Clay gets put on Pascal because he just burns him. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the most fun things to watch because Clay oh, yeah. is actually a terrific defender, but Pascal is just too big and agile for him. It was mm-hmm. man, it was so disappointing to see, and it was a great adjustment by Steve Kerr to have Iguodala and Draymond Green roaming. Yeah, but that first game, watching him, like I wrote that article about it, how he's eyeing up this empty paint and this single coverage against. Only one of the best defenders of all time, Draymond Green, and cooking him every time because he's yeah. so gifted athletically and his balance and his his suave, his flair is just, it's so good. No soccer feet. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it is. And I the, mean, the praying hands of a priest. That's the thing. If Clay is healthy to play and Kevin does come back, that's when it gets really scary for the Raptors, to your point. But I don't know. Clay did not look good leaving the floor. Mind you, Iggy didn't look good leaving after game one. So, But at some point, you have to think all these injuries are going to take a toll, aren't they? Yeah, well, that's. it seems like, on the one hand, it's a ticking time bomb for the Warriors because... You know, the more people they lose, the more toll it takes on everybody else. They seem to be losing guys closer and closer. Who knows if DeMarcus Cousins keeps holding up at the same level. Lewis just wrote a terrific article about how the Raptors are targeting him. To no avail, but yeah, they, they should be. It's it's something to look at, especially I, I if thought, they can get I a high screen. I thought could have just as easily fouled out in the first half last night. As he as as only had three fouls. Honestly, I really felt like he got away with at least three blatant calls. So that's fine. I mean, again, the whistle evened out, but I really felt that Boogie got away with a lot of fouls in the first half. And he's a ticking time bond. To your point about about what what can happen, he's not someone who's going to maintain his composure. That technical that went against Steph for hitting the ball could have just as easily gone against Boogie because he was screaming at the ref. So yeah. him in early foul trouble and you just go at him, like, can you not just see Kyle egging him into something? I Yeah, I could definitely see that. And the interesting so then, part about the ticking time bomb is that on the one hand, they're getting closer to Kevin Durant's return, but they're also getting closer to the implosion of the team because of how much, how much of a toll the team is taking with such a short roster and such a high level of play it's it's interesting because on the one t- way it's good but on the other way it's not so good and if kevin looney can't play to me he was one of the x factors for golden state coming in i felt that he was actually their their best big in the in the houston series after kevin went out i really like yeah. that kid. i think he's got a looney lot is really good looney is yeah, very I, I very tenacious but if he can't play that's going to be huge because that puts all the pressure on uh who's the other bell um, Jordan Bell, DeMarcus and, Cousins. And, and yeah. DeMarcus Cousins. And all of a sudden, you're down to two. 
and they've got and they've got uh, old man uh, Bogut too, who I love Andrew Bogut. He's a pain in the ass, but I love him. I, I can't believe he got three tippins last night. That was just poor management on our part. But I mean, he's not going to be someone that'll make stupid fouls though, like Boogie would. But I would yeah. go at Boogie big time in game three. Try and well, get him in foul trouble. Yeah, it's depending on how clinical Kawhi is, the pick and roll can either be just kind of a secondary action for the for him, or it could be the primary action for the Raptors because if everything's going right, the Raptors can run pick and roll with Kyle Lowry. They can space the floor. Good things can come off of that. Fred Van Vliet can hit four triples in a game. If it's slowing down like in the 76er series, then you could yeah. do Kawhi Leonard pick and roll. If Clay doesn't play next game or is limited, do they go back to the box plus one? Uh... For stretches, I imagine they will. Yeah, I would. I would do that because they have such a. They would be so removed from any type of shooting on the floor that I think you try it again. And it's it's good to throw wonky looks at teams and to keep them off guard. I thought that was a great call by Nick Nurse, even though right. Steph called it janky. Yeah, all all this conversation about Nurse being this uh, uh, savant about offense, I've been more impressed by his defensive adjustments and anything like I think I think he's gained a lot of respect uh, league-wide through the series I think he's had a terrific after I know there was that whole thing about him not matching the Gasol and Embiid minutes which he did end up doing in game seven they both mm -hmm. played the 45 minutes and 11 seconds but I just read a really fun little factoid that today Steve Kerr was trying to figure out why yeah. the Raptors call their timeouts in the middle of the floor because Usually, teams, they'll run to the sideline. They'll right. call their timeout on the left or right side, and that dictates right. where the ball gets inbounded from. However, Nick Nurse has them call it in the middle of the floor so that he can decide where the ball gets inbounded from, and the defense doesn't know until the play gets walked out. Nice. I was like, wow. And Steve Kerr didn't even know that. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, these, I'm sure they'll start doing it. Yeah. I mean... This, just the whole trying to figure out what they're going to do is so much fun. Like this, if you look at, to me, Houston's overrated always have been. Sorry. I didn't think that they were going to win that series. And now we're seeing what's happening in, in Houston because of them not beating a Kevin Durantless team on their floor. But they were so predictable, you know, whereas the, the good, the good thing about this series and we'll hope that the Raptors are the, are the ones that come out on top. But it is fun to watch when there's so much intelligence involved. There's so many players on the floor. They're bright players. The coaches are both really bright. To me, this is like, this is the best series finals we could have got. Not just because we're Raptors fans and, and write about them, but it is really the highest uh, intelligence uh, of two teams that could be out there. Coach Bud have, is a great in-season coach. To me, he's the same as Casey. They're great in-season, but they're not good at adapting. Kerr and Nurse are both really great at adapting. Yeah, and that's also Budenholzer. Casey are both so big on their... They're just their big overall over, overarching plan and the ideology that runs the basketball and how they, how they work through things. And that's the Raptors. They are a pick-and-roll team through and through. That's all they did in the regular season. Heavy dose of DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry with Dwayne Casey. There was no change. They weren't, there was no variables in the playoffs, and they got stomped. And same thing with the Bucks. Nothing really changed. And the Raptors, yeah. who have been so fluid and so changeable and so smart, 
they came and they won. And that's that's what the playoffs are about most of the time is being always, fluid and changeable. I always felt like there was probably some sort of bonuses written into the coaches' contracts. And that's why Casey was – like last year when Fred Van Vliet got hurt in Miami with 90 seconds left when Van Manabio, uh delivered the football check on him and separated his shoulder. There's no reason why Fred should have been on the floor, but that's because Casey wanted to get that 60th win. You know, like I think there must be bonuses written into their contracts and they put that ahead of, of what's important. Nick Nurse got a lot of shit this year from a lot of different people for trying different things and it's paying dividends. And everybody seems to forget Kyle sat out 17 games. Kawhi sat out 22 games. They never sat out at the same time. And Marcus Gasol was only with us for 22 games. I'm not sure how many of those Kawhi played, maybe 16. They actually started to build their momentum in the playoffs playing with each other. Like it was yeah. part partway through, I think overcoming Philly was the big hurdle, and then partway through Game Three against Milwaukee, we started to see what this team could be. And knock on wood, if Kawhi stays next year, I think we're only going to see that progress because Kawhi for sure will work on his playmaking in the off season. You know, and when they're at their best, it's when it's a combination of Kawhi getting that ball out to the open man and. Uh, throwing teams off kilter as to whether it's going to come back into Kawhi or whether it's going to be open man taking the shot. I think we're just starting to see the tip of the iceberg of what this Raptors team can really be. Yeah, and especially on the defensive end. I think the way they've played and at the level that they've played and that they showed they are capable of for four games straight against the number one ranked offense in the Milwaukee Bucks, Really, it made me feel, and I'm young, but it made me feel like I was looking at one of the best defenses of the past 20 years Absolutely. relative to the pace, relative to the play style. They're not like, you know, a team from 2003 that's really mucking it up and the Pistons, let's say. But at this play style, at this pace, the way they defend is really a marvel. And it's so synergistic and it's so impressive to watch. So much intelligence on the court. They adapt. They do so many different things. I agree with you. It's been my favorite defensive team to watch in a long time. And you bring up the Bad Boy Pistons or the second iteration of them with Chauncey. That team was great, but it was a different style of ball back then. You were still allowed to hand check, right? Yeah. Well, so, listeners, um, sorry to cut you off, Tamerlan, but uh, we'll be coming back to you with uh, Twitter questions. And for now, you're going to listen to an ad read. Here's the scenario. You're injured in a collision and your insurance company is denying your claim. It happens far too often. If it happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. My team and I work for people just like you. We don't accept cases on behalf of insurance companies, so you and your family can make sure that you're in good hands. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Welcome back to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm still Samson Folk and still joined by Tamberlin Richardson and we'll be answering the Twitter questions that were posed by you, the listeners, or the, the question posers. So, Andre at Andre MD, considering the Raps giving up home court advantage, the Warriors mounting injuries, and KD's looming return, what's our level of concern on a scale of 1 to 10 heading back to Oracle? Are we still in a decent spot? Tamberlin. I'm not concerned because we've won a game on the road in every series. Was that, I think that too simple? Yeah. 
That's that's very simplistic, but it makes sense, and it speaks to a longer answer about the Raptors' resiliency and intelligence and how they're just kind of unfazed, and maybe that we as fans, analysts, and writers, we should emulate that type of resiliency and ability to be unfazed going forward. And they've won big games on the road. They won game four in Philadelphia, right? They won game five in Milwaukee. So it's not like the games that they won on the road were just the games three and four in Orlando. They were big games that the Raptors had to win. So, yeah. I thought that one of the defining moments is obviously because it sent them to the finals, but the win in game six to close out the Bucks was so impressive because I think provided that Raptors teams of the past had even gotten there, if you start out in that hole, the 18-4 to four run, I yeah. think you just lose game six and you say, hey, we're going to try again in game seven. But this Raptors team, they won in game four because they did not want to go down 3-1. And they won in game five against the Bucks, and then game six. And even when they could give up a game and still they had two closeout games, I think Raptors teams of the past would take both games to do it. But this version of them against that Bucks team, that impressive Giannis-led Bucks team, closed them out. So... Me Which personally, and I know. Go That's ahead. Huge. That's huge because they always say the closeout game is the hardest one. So your point is extremely valid. They didn't give up. They had belief in themselves. And in the back of their heads, I'm sure they're thinking Kawhi needs five days off, right? To me, yeah, yeah. as much as everyone has talked about Kawhi being the, you know, the deity in Toronto, which he is, and he's incredible, and I, I just keep pinching myself all year long watching this kid. Um I, I'm really impressed with how the team gets behind him and does what's necessary when his game isn't there. Like in game one, as good as he was on so many levels, it was the rest of the guys who won the game. So yeah, it yeah. was a wonderful, it was a wonderful team output in game one. That's yeah. what made it so enjoyable to watch. There, there's a lot of enjoyment to be taken from Kawhi Leonard. Think back to those games one to four of the Philly series where he's just a supernova. The Raptors offensive rating without him is like a 57, but he's shooting like 70, 50, 90 from the field. That's a hell of a thing to watch, but watching the Raptors coalesce together as a unit and play this defense, this pick and roll offense with Kyle Lowry is really something. And to watch them beat the Warriors is even better. I mean, other than game six against Milwaukee, I still haven't been able to reach the same apex that I did with game seven with that shot every day, Samson, this is kind of a sad thing to tell you, but every day I rewatched that, that shot going in and listened to who was calling it, Matt Weiner, or I don't know who was calling it with, with Ray Anthony on the U S station, but um, is this the dagger? I watched that every single day. Yeah. Nothing, nothing has met that for me. I mean, I, I would have loved to have been at game six when they clinched against Milwaukee. And that, that I guess is the, is the real pinnacle, but that game seven, nothing has, has matched that for me. I think if we win the championship that will, but to me, that was like my, my moment of the year, my favorite moment, probably in basketball yeah. ever for Toronto. Definitely. Well, that's, I haven't watched the video every day, but my friends and I, we play basketball a lot of the days. And anytime a shot goes, is this the dagger? Yeah. Game series Toronto. <laughs> it's such a good call. It's so yeah. enjoyable. Jordan Lloyd down. Jordan Meeks jumping on top of Kawhi. Like it's just so great. Yeah. Great yeah. call. 
I can't remember who did it. I want to say maybe Kevin Harlan. Oh, it might be Kevin. I think you're right. I think it was Kevin Harlan. Mike Breen. I wonder what he would have said. I think Breen is my favorite. Breen's pretty damn good. I mean, that's really true, you know. Yeah. I really like when Doris does the the color commentary. She's fantastic. Hey, DB. Little shout out to my favorite female. I love Rachel and Wolf, too, though. Yeah, there's a lot of really good uh, female talent on air right now. And probably there will be going forward, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Katie? Uh, (laughs) The second Twitter question. In Masai, I trust at just looking 913. Any thoughts on FVB starting, considering he's been the rap's best defender on Curry? No, I don't. I mean, I guess if it gets down to a game seven and Danny crosses, but to, to be honest, I don't think that's in Nurse's wheelhouse because for as much as everyone was screaming for Freddie to be replaced by, I, I could not believe how many analysts were saying that Jeremy Lin should be playing. I'm sorry, Jeremy Lin fans, but that's just a joke. So he's stuck by Fred. I think he'll stick by Danny. Unless Danny starts to like regress defensively, there's no reason for him not to be starting. I like Freddie coming off the bench. It keeps their other guys in, in sync from an emotion standpoint and just in terms of rhythm. Um, I love him being on the floor with Kyle, but I don't I don't think he messed with that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think I think Nurse is showing he'll stand by his guys and him putting Danny coming off the bench, I think would be a worse answer than having Fred start, you know? Yeah, definitely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And to speak on the Jeremy Lin point as well, I I remember those conversations too, is that should Jeremy Lin be playing instead of Fred Van Vliet? And it's like Fred Van Vliet's floor is so much higher than Jeremy Lin's floor. I mean, Jeremy Lin's ceiling can get quite high if he's really foxy out of the pick and roll and really crafty. But as far as if Fred Van Vliet is having a bad game on offense, he's still such a pest on defense. And we're seeing the fruits of his labor born all over these playoffs because even when he was playing bad offensively, he never quit on defense and he was never, ever, you know, a liability on that end. So even though he had his ups and downs as far as shooting goes, that's one of the constants. And Kyle fouled out of that game in Milwaukee and Freddie took him home. You know what I mean? Like, I just, anyone that says that about Lynn, I just point them to, I think it was game five in Milwaukee. I'm not sure. Maybe it wasn't because it's one of the ones they blew him out. But Lynn and the crew came on the floor and Lynn couldn't hit a shot and he couldn't hit uh, pass a ball to one of his open guys. So I said, just look at that. We were, we had uh, Milwaukee in the 90s and they ended up in the 100s because, because that crew couldn't stop them. So. Just watch that and then tell me you want him playing over Fred. Yeah, I think it's it's been kind of a shame because Jeremy Lin was such a creative pick-and-roll creator yeah. for so long, but that's kind better. of been robbed of him. I think maybe he he's good in, in a fast-paced scenario. Like, he played well for Atlanta, but it's because they played so fast. You're not going to have that kind of pace in, in the playoffs, especially with his unit. So, yeah, it's it's a moot point. Yeah, and his defense, even though he is a better defender than I think he gets credit for, he isn't the level of Fred Van Vliet. Agreed. Agreed. I don't know. What what about Normie? Do you think Norm should get more minutes? He played pretty well. Yeah, that's Norm. I have this little tradition I do when I watch the games. If there is an NBA player on the Raptors who is open for three, and I mean wide open, no matter what happens, I say to myself, 
wide open NBA player. And I say it out loud because I think in my head, I'm like, a wide open NBA player hits a wide open shot in the NBA. And they know that they should hit it too. So Norman Powell is one of the best shooters in those situations. When he's wide open from three, I genuinely find that he actually hits. And that's one of the best feelings is that he doesn't have that drop off. He has his decisions where if he gets towards the basket and he has a lot of guys hanging around him, maybe his decision making gets a little hairy. But as long as you keep him linear and just going from A to B, he's a terrific bench yeah. player and he's perfectly energetic and bouncy on defense. I like Norm a lot. He led the I team not be, last night. Yeah, I would not be disappointed if he started kind of siphoning away some of Danny's minutes, if Danny remains this version of Danny. But yeah. I think Norman, he can he can bring a lot to the Raptors, especially if his decision-making is on point. He can be I really, mean, really sharp. Danny still hit three out of seven shots. That's not bad. He was two of five from deep. But Norman was plus 13. The closest guy to him was plus three. Yeah. I think that Danny has been, even though he hasn't been at the level of defense that we're used to seeing from him, I think he's been a step below Norm because I think that Norm really, even though Danny is a much better, I guess, team defender, Norm is really, really good at being kind of slinky and getting around screens. He's really explosive defensively. He's tenacious. It's like he's like a little pit bull. Like, not I wouldn't put him on Lowry's level of being a pit bull, but he has that 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 grit in him. You know, I love that about him. Yeah, but he's a I, dog. I, yeah, I'm thinking Serge Ibaka might have a breakout game in Game Three or Game Four. I'm kind of hoping they win Game Three because then it gives them the push to try and really take Game Four and come home. But we'll see. I, I just they'll have to adapt. I, I expect to bounce back big time, and I don't. I don't expect Nick Nurse playing with his rotations other than, as you say, maybe giving Norm some more minutes and seeing what happens with uh, who. A lot's going to depend on who plays for Golden State. And how hobbled they are. Yeah. Well, it's it's ever-changing in this series because there's so much going on. And I wish OG Ananobi could make a comeback. I wish that there would be more variation for the Raptors. And if OG was healthy, that would be really cool to throw him out there. But it's just not working out. And the also, Warriors have a lot to deal with on their own end. We talked about that before coming on air. You might want to tell people that it's not looking good for OG to actually play because of his... Oh, yeah. Nick Nurse had mentioned that OG isn't likely to play because he lost so much weight after his appendicitis. And there's getting healthy, but there's also what he had to go through to get healthy. Yeah. And he's probably, even though his motion is probably at the level where he could play his, how he's carrying his weight, I don't think is at the level where he could be as effective playing the way he's used to playing because he can't go in there and play like Norman Powell if he weighs closer to Norman Powell's weight than he does to Kawhi Leonard's. He's mm-hmm. used to being a he's used to being a bigger forward and if he doesn't have the weight to throw that around and play like that, he might struggle a lot. And I think that's probably the conventional Which sucks because I was so looking Yeah, that sucks because I was so looking forward to seeing a small ball lineup with Pascal at the five and Kawhi and, and OG in the front line. I was so looking forward to that. So to hear that he probably won't play is really disappointing. So what's what are the odds that he can get some? What are they? What are those things? Ensure whatever you build up your your weight. Is there anything they can do to fast track it for Alex McKechnie to fast track him getting back some weight on him? Uh, 
Man, I'm really not sure. I think I would err on the side of not seeing him in the series, especially with the Raptors playing the short rotation the way they do, and Norm Powell actually being good. Yeah. That doesn't leave a lot of room for OG. And this actually is doubly disappointing for me because that was the last feature I wrote. I went to practice. I asked Nick Nurse about him, and I thought OG was going to make his big comeback just in time. I yeah. watched him practice. I watched him go through all this stuff, and... It just and then he got injured. But I wrote my big feature on how he's gonna he's gonna have a really great playoffs, and he didn't play at all. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I love OG. I think I think we're gonna see huge a huge step from him next year. If Danny Green was right, because Danny Green at the All Star break was one of the announcers during the Rising Stars Challenge, told the the audience that Kawhi and OG have planned to spend the summer together with Kawhi helping him fast track his game. So they, Nick Nurse had said several times this season that he was expecting both Pascal and OG to take a step. Well, Pascal didn't just take a step. He took a leap and took prisoners along the way. But if OG learned some stuff from Kawhi, how great will that be for next season? Because he yeah, a couple well, of times looked like he was just ready to break through, and then some some shit would happen there. Either he gets injured, his pen, appendix ruptures. Like every time, just as he was on the precipice of breaking through, something would happen. You know. Yeah, and well, that's even before Kawhi was before we could even dream of Kawhi being a Toronto Raptor. I remember when the Raptors played their first game with OG in the lineup, and I wrote a little article about how he's the next Kawhi Leonard because, you know, yeah. sensationalism is great. But that was, yeah. a, that was a common theme with Raptors is, like, he could be, like, a Kawhi Leonard-type player. Maybe not in the mid-range, maybe not as a ball handler, but as far as defense and hitting his open shots, he looked Absolutely. like he profiled as that type of guy. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard not to get overly excited at the thought of Kawhi coming back and having Kawhi Pascal, another summer of growth, which I'm sure he'll work on is adding some weight and his mid-range shot and OG coming back stronger. Like, it's hard not to get super excited about the future of this team. Yeah. Regardless of who signs or what happens, Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi make me very, very excited My boy. for whatever comes. Yeah. I, I don't know if you know, but I don't know if you know this, but when they drafted Pascal at 27, I went on the, the podcast that night. I was the only one that knew how to pronounce his name. And I had done some research on mock drafts because I was doing it at the time I was writing for a, a rocket site, which is, ugh, hated covering the rockets. Anyway, I was big time on Pascal and said how, how this kid was going to be the steal of the draft. So I'm, I'm quite happy to see him pan out the way that he has. He, he's, he's, exceeded my expectations even but i did see this coming from him because he just has that work ethic you know that's an extremely impressive callback i'm i'm very happy you had that prediction in you yeah well him i i predicted that uh Przingis was going to be better than everybody thought he was I, I took a lot of heat for that saying that the lakers should have taken him second and there's usually one guy every mock draft that I, I have a different take on that ends up being more. I, I still think De'Aaron Fox will be the one that comes out of that draft as being the most special. I know Tatum had a great year last year, the year before, but he wasn't, he didn't show that growth this year. Donovan Mitchell is great. I still think De'Aaron Fox will be the one that shines from that class. And he took yeah. big, big steps this year. So I usually have one. Yeah, right. And then I get like 90 wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah. I would, man, I've, I've tweeted this out before, there are pictures together, but I think my, my biggest dream ever is that 
this next era of the Raptors is De'Aaron Fox and Pascal Siakam turning the basketball court into a racetrack. I just need the Raptors to find out some way to get De'Aaron Fox. I love De'Aaron Fox, same as you. I wasn't. I was only. I liked him a lot because he dominated Alonzo Ball, yeah. and that obviously dictated a lot of the media around him. But yeah. how his speed, and I would just love him to play with Pascal Siakam. I think that would be the most fun thing ever. Yeah, smart, not afraid of anything. I love Shea Gilgus too. Yeah, he's terrific. He's, he's great. so long. He's, he's like a. He's like a prime Sean Livingston with, without the injury and might be able to, to really stretch into something really, really intriguing. I watched him, I watched the preseason game where he played against the Lakers and my God, it was just so much fun seeing him in the building and seeing like him do his little Sean Livingston, really outstretched arms, mid-range yeah. jump shot thing. How mm-hmm. how funky he is around the basket finishing, how many different like little shoulder slots he has to finish yeah. around the basket. Really intriguing player. And well, defensively, so long. Too. Yeah. A, a better version of DeLon, but he remind me, reminded me a little bit of DeLon, too, that herky-jerkiness, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. I miss DeLon. I really, really like DeLon. Me too. How, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I knew Yakov also would do really well under Pop, and he's really, his game's really grown. But you don't get the players that Nick, that uh, Masai got without giving up something in return. And I think Gasol has panned out so much better than a lot of people expected from him. And that's that's the player I kind of expect to see a bit more of in games three and four. So far through the playoffs, his home versus uh, road is really bad, like in terms of numbers for um, scoring. So I'm hoping that he's hearing, he seems to respond to when he gets negative press quite well. So we'll hope that he has a bounce back in terms of scoring in this next game as well. Because six points isn't going to cut it, you know? Yeah. Well, here's hoping. Uh, before yeah. we get off, um, I think it'd be a good idea for you to tell the people what they should be reading of yours, where they should find you. Just give them a quick reminder. Well, I'll be doing the Game 5 preview, and now because we lost Game 2, I will actually get to write one this time, because last time I took Game 7 against the Bucks, so I'll be doing the Game 5 preview for Raptors Republic. Uh, I don't know if I'll have much time to do anything else on Raptors, because I'm doing several articles a day for Thunderous Intentions, uh, the fan-sided Oklahoma City Thunder site, and that's really about it, and tweeting my, you know, my little hanging off on TTO Tam's uh, on Twitter. So that's about it. All right. I feel like that's a great way to, to jump off and, and end the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, Tamerlan. Thanks for having me. Of course. And to you, the listener, thanks for listening. Whatever time you get around to this, have a blessed day and goodbye. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, dollar for dollar with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at myhealthpolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. 
So he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for. And done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.